Thank you for tuning into the Federal's Files on today's show. No transparency at the border. More statistics that support the ineffectiveness of lockdowns. COVID passport proposal and the dishonest media. Affordable child care is a big deal. More parents are seeing the value of educators when they had to bring their kids <laughs> and say, we're not paying them nearly enough. <laughs> that is a public service announcement from the 47th president of the United States, Kamala Harris. So she, she has this awkward way, I think she, when, when she feels awkward or to maybe get a arousal out of the audience, she starts to oddly and awkwardly laugh. Uh, and these are like bad things. They asked her recently about the border. Are you going to go down to the border? And she said no. And then she started laughing about it. And this was right after a lot of these images uh, came out about the border. So she's very, she's cringy. If, if, if you want to... Think about three years with Kamala Harris. I can only imagine her husband's had to spend a lot of years with her. It's very cringy stuff from her. And additionally, this weird thing from the Democrat Party where they, they praise they praise these teachers that haven't been showing up to work. They're talking about free child care as well now. That's the new thing. It's anything that, that they could take your money from you that you earned and you worked hard for. Any Anything to justify a higher tax rate from the people and more reliance on them as the uh, the government. So the HHS, so this is, you know, as everybody knows, the border story is huge right now in the media. The HHS is actually asking the Pentagon to house migrant children at military facilities. I have that as a daily caller piece. It's just simply they're asking because they're so overrun right now. They're asking the military and the the uh, the Pentagon to use some some facilities down in I guess Texas, some of these border states just to house these these children. So it's absolutely it is just outrageous what's going on. So I have a clip from Ted Cruz. He was down at the border, and he attempted to record some of these facilities and one of the staffers that they recently hired down there to keep the media away because there's immediate there's no transparency here from the Biden administration. So there's the, there's the media shutdown over there. So Ted Cruz with a couple of uh, lawmakers, a couple of Republican lawmakers went down there to check it out. Uh, play five. Please give dignity to the people. Please give dignity to the people. So you work for the commissioner, your senior advisor. You were hired two weeks ago, and you're instructed to ask us to not have any pictures taken here. Please respect the because people. Because the, the political rules. leadership at DHS does not want the American people to know it. Please respect the rules, You keep sir. standing in, in front of the pictures, Please so you don't want the, the pictures rules. taken. The rules are arbitrary, Please and they're designed the to keep the American the people, people in the dark. dignity and respect. That's all we ask. Well, dignity no, and not. respect. You're asking, is this Please. dignity and respect? Look Please at these people. Please give dignity and respect to the people. Let, let me I ask you. you. There, there's a I pandemic. I respectfully ask you, sir. There is a pandemic. Is this respecting the rights of these kids? I ask you. Please Are you respecting the, the rights of these this kids? This is not a zoo, sir. Please don't treat the people. You're right. And this is a dangerous place. Please don't treat the people And your policies, unfortunately, are trying to hide them. I understand you are instructed. So that clip goes on for another 30 seconds. I cut it a little short. 
So just a visual for everyone that's listening. Uh, it is a facility. It is, I don't know how many square feet I could say, but it is a bunch of kids sleeping on the ground with these, I guess you call them uh, space blankets. They're like tinfoily looking blankets. I don't really know why. I guess that's all they could get at the time. Uh, you have a staffer who just recently got hired over there just to keep the media out. That is their main objective. Uh, stepping in front of the camera so Ted Cruz could not record what's actually going on at the border. And she keeps saying, please respect the dignity of the people. This isn't a zoo. She's saying things like that. But they are treating these people like it is a zoo. Uh, the, the facility they have them is, I mean, they're all sleeping on the ground. They're all very close. I would say... I mean, there's obviously there's no six foot uh, social distancing standard. If if you go by that standard, they're all packed in. They're like sardines, really. That's the best way to explain it. Uh, you can check it out on Rumble. It's at the very beginning of the video. I don't exactly know how far in I am. Let me see. So on Rumble, if you go to three minutes in, you will see that video, that clip. It is absolutely reprehensible. What is going on at the border? And there's no transparency right now. And and you know, I remember when, I'm old enough to remember when the Trump administration, in the very beginning of his administration, the media was coming out attacking him because they were separating children at the border, which in the United States of America, if you commit a crime and your kid's alone at the house, they do separate the child and the parent, uh, in, in that case, anyway, so this is, this is actually like a stand. That standard, by the way, is like almost, I mean, that's like a U.S. standard if a uh, adult commits a crime to begin with. So Biden, and, and like I said, there is no transparency. So this is Biden. There's a clip of Biden saying that they will give transparency, but then at the very end kind of retracting, acting like there is no transparency. I don't know what, exactly what's going on. Play three. So I'm running for three reasons. To restore the soul, dignity, honor, honesty, transparency to the American political system. But we haven't seen the facilities in which children are packed together to really give the American people a chance to see that. Will you commit to transparency on this issue? I will commit to transparency. And as soon as I am in a position to be able to implement what we're doing right now. I'm one of the reasons I haven't gone down, I have all my my chief folks have gone down, is I don't want to become the issue. I don't want to be, you know, bringing all the Secret Service and everybody with me to get in the way. So this is being set up, and you'll have full access to everything once we get this thing moving. Okay, just to be clear, how soon will that be, Mr. President? I don't know, to be clear. Hat tip to the Media Research Center for providing that clip. Uh, you know, Biden in the very beginning, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all about transparency, this is the reason I ran for president, and then at the very, at the question from the NBC reporter, well then when, when is the media going to get to see these facilities, oh well, you know, we have to prepare them, we have to make sure this and that, like what are you preparing them for? They're not preparing them folks, they just need to figure out a way to move the migrants from one place to another, the migrant children, so it doesn't look as bad as it actually is down there, so the real story isn't, uh, doesn't come out. That's all it is. And then near the very end, they say, well, when exactly do you have a time frame on that? When, when that's going to happen? And he goes, oh, no, 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 we don't have a time frame. So really, you guys aren't transparent. <laughs> there's, no, there's no transparency here. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um, but they, the media will keep everybody in the dark about this story. I mean, this story, 
uh, is is huge. This story is a huge story. So the media, actually, NBC has to try to report it. They have to attempt to ask some kind of challenging questions in this case. And it's also because the media is, the media, you'll understand, the one thing that the media hates the most, no matter what administration, the only thing they might actually be fair on is when you don't give them a fair shake. So what do you mean when you say that? I mean, when you're not open to the media yourself, when you don't allow them, because the media themselves, them, them, they encompass the power that they want the power. Uh, like I said, many times they are like a fourth branch of government. So them themselves, they are annoyed when they're shut down, when they're closed out of any situation. They want to know the full story. They're gossipers. That's their job. Um, so they want to feel that power. They want that power in their hands to report. Because once you have information, damning information about anybody, you have the power over them. It's almost like a form of blackmail. Uh, that is the, that's the reason for it. So the media, they get. there's nothing else that kills their ego. Because they have such a giant ego. There's nothing that annoys them more than being shut down from anything. From any story. That annoys them more than anything. So, so you'll notice... In the Biden administration, this will be a very few times where the media might actually push back. It will be in terms of uh, the media being shut off from the story. You saw this with Tucker Carlson with uh, Sidney Powell. When he Sidney Powell said she wouldn't come on a show, and then he, he blasted her the next day. Uh, this, this commonly happens with reporters that have that kind of experience. They get annoyed. They get annoyed. Oh, well, I can't report the story. They think they're these big wigs. They have these big egos, and they go. they get annoyed that... You're not allowing them to go and even see. There's no transparency. You don't get to see the story. They they think in their in their heads they're like, well, I'm an elite. I'm an elitist reporter. I should be able to get in here. There's no reason I should have access to this. Like I'm a special. I'm a special person. I have special requirements. I bragged to all my friends about how I'm a reporter. How I'm a journalist. It's all of that encompassing into one here, and that's why uh, they may actually somewhat hold his his feet to the fire on this one depending on how long they decide on holding out on the media. So another story about illegal migrant children. Uh, San Diego school teachers to give in-school instruction to illegal migrants before citizens. This is on a Fox News piece. Peter Hasen is the writer. So it's, it says here, and this is a, uh, a San Diego County supervisor, Jim Desmond, telling Fox News, he states, and I quote, We have 130,000 children who haven't been allowed in a classroom for over a year in the San Diego United States or the United Schools District. It's great that there's in-person learning for those unaccompanied minors from Central America, but I wish every child in San Diego country, no, it must be county, was allowed uh, the same opportunity for in-person teaching. The system is broken when San Diego teachers are teaching migrant children in person, but the 100,000 children, the students of taxpaying families at San Diego Unified School District are stuck learning in Zoom class. Emily Diaz, a uh, SDUSD parent, states, so one of the parents. So this is what happens when you get liberal policies, leftist policies, and you even notice the language from the San Diego County Supervisor, Jim, Jim Desmond, uh, his language, uh, unaccompanied minors from Central America, instead of just saying illegal, illegal immigrant kids or migrants, just that they have to use these special buzzwords that make things less inflammatory because that's what the left tells them to do. Uh, and the reason for that is to attempt to humanize things more and make it almost inhumane if you say anything counter to the narrative. 
so this is what happened, and this is a, obviously San Diego. I would assume probably left wing. Anything in California, that's a city's left wing. San Diego, from what I understand, is they're a little bit more right wing than left uh, in terms if you compare them to like a San Francisco. I think San Francisco is way further left than San Diego. I thought San Diego, from what I understood, I thought they were like more classical liberal types. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this case. Maybe they're super far left. The fact that they're allowing, that, that they're going to have in-school instruction for illegal immigrant children and... They're not going to have any, the, the kids, the people that pay the taxes for that to be allowed to happen, their kids have to still be taught at home. They have to have their, their at home instruction. It's, it's, it is unbelievable. Uh, and, and that's what you get with liberal policies. You'll end up paying for those in the long run. Here's another story from the post millennial written by Katie Davis court arrest of sex offenders at the U S Mexico border hit five year high. This is a Project Veritas exclusive with Insider from the um, Customs and Border Protection. Oh, you know what? I could show you that clip first. That might be what I'll do, and then I'll read off some of the statistics. Yeah. So, I have a clip from Project Veritas. They got an exclusive with a Customs and Border Protection officer. Uh, he's a little undercover. I'm not going to play much of him because it's hard to understand him. If you're watching, you can read the subtitles, but I'm not going to play much of him. I'm just kind of going to read off uh, some of the information he states, but uh, but just check it out. These documents, this is something called the Border Intelligence Daily. It says sex offender encounters by U.S. Border Patrol has reached a five-year high. Do you feel that's accurate? What do they mean by encounters? Well, the counter is an arrest. It's extremely accurate and possibly being reported because sometimes we don't know about in this document, it says that criminal aliens with sex-related offenses are attempting to re-enter the U.S. in record numbers during the pandemic, likely due to unstable economic situations. It goes on to show some figures that show we're only five months into the fiscal year of 2021, but there's already 214 of these encounters, sex offender encounters, compared to the yearly total last year, which was 154. It's a pretty big difference. You sure these numbers are accurate? I would probably say that I'm reporting. I have witnessed an aftermath of some sexual assaults on the border. I have arrested or rescued aliens that have been raped. I have sat in the hospital with women that have been raped a couple years back. There was some men that have been raped and tied to the fence because they wouldn't carry drugs. There's a lot of sexual assaults going on. Like, do I fear most? Yes. Finding big children. So that's pretty horrific just to think about if I'm going to try to break some of the stuff down. If you didn't understand, I know the audio is a little weird because they had to, uh, the person is anonymous. They changed their voice up. They did some sort of weird voice changing software on their voice. So just to start off with the, some of the statistics here, as you can see by the chart, Border Patrol encounters of criminal alien sex offenders annual totals. So 2021, so thus far, we've had 214. And just keep this in mind, we're only five months into the fiscal year. The fiscal year, I believe, for the government starts in September. So we're only five months in thus far, and we have 214 comparatively to last year in 2020. We had 154, but 154 was for the entire year. We are only five months into the fiscal year. And additionally, we're only really two months into the current presidency. 
So if we have these very lenient rules at the border, this will continue to rise and it will skyrocket. If you look at the average uh, over the years, over the last four, pretty much the entire Trump administration, it never went past that number really of 154. In 2016, it was 156. That's the highest it's been in the last four years. Actually, in 2019, it was only 58. So we had a we had a pretty drastic drop. And then when he's asked by uh, James O'Keefe, so once again, this is a Project Veritas clip. Everything that I'm providing will be in the show notes below. So in particular, this one will be in the uh, in the link that I provide. Show notes is in the description. Description, it'll say show notes, and then I'll have all of my sourcing that I am uh, referring to in those show notes there. So, yeah, so we have, and then James O'Keefe asks, so so what do you think about that number? And he goes, I think it's actually underreported. So this number is actually going to be even much more than, than they thought. He says, I would probably say they're underreported. All the records of the criminal aliens and sex offenders that we arrest now, they have all been previously deported from the United States from committing these crimes in the United States. And then he goes on, and he asks... And this is all in the clip, but it's kind of difficult to understand. He adds, and I quote, possibly underreported because sometimes we don't know about their criminal history or they haven't got caught. Then he talks about the highly volatile situations that immigrants uh, face during their trek to the United States, especially sexual assaults, which that's probably the most troubling and most disgusting and despicable of all. He states, and I quote, I have witnessed the aftermath of some sexual assaults on the border. I've arrested or rescued illegal aliens that have been raped. I have sat in a hospital with a woman that be that had been raped. A couple years back, there was some men that had been raped and tied to the fence because they wouldn't carry drugs. There's a lot of sexual assaults going on. So, the cartels obviously are running uh, this operation. And then now, now you go back and you really look at everything that's going on and what's transpiring here. And there's statistics on this on sexual how many women get sexually assaulted on their way to the border or in the process of getting to the United States and the southern border. Uh, there's stats on this, and it shows when Trump said there's rapists, there's murderers coming across the border. They're running the coyotes are running the operation. All those things that he's saying are true. They're not. They're not. This is not false. This is, these are true statements that he made. In regards to this, and uh, the media just, you know, they, they ran with it. They said, oh, Trump's racist because he said that some of these people are murderers and uh, rapists. And he was right. And it turns out that he's right. I mean, everyone knew at the time, if you were reading, you knew he was right. But the media just propagates stories out of thin air, really. And then the very last thing he said, and I quote, we run checkpoint operations where we check vehicles and catch live dope runs, human smuggling, human trafficking programs. It's very dangerous. So they have human uh, smuggling, trafficking, sex trafficking, dope as in drugs. And then the one thing he said at the very end is he's uh, at the very end of the clip. He says, what do you so what's what's your biggest worry? Uh, James O'Keefe says, and he says, finding dead children in the desert, because that probably has been done. That's probably been found a couple of times, uh, numerous times, I'd imagine when they send kids on this trip. So to get to a new to, to get to my next segment here, this is a we're going to have some statistics to show the ineffectiveness of of shutdowns. And first, to start off, I have Biden calling for mask mandates once again. 
Play seven. Reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. And businesses require masks as well. The failure to take this virus seriously, precisely what got us to this mess in the first place, risk more cases and more deaths. deaths. Look, as I do my part to accelerate the vaccine distribution and vaccinations, I need the American people to do their part as well. Mask up. Mask up. It's a patriotic duty. It's the only way we ever get back to normal. To cheer together in stadiums full of fans. To gather together on holidays again safely. Go to graduations, weddings. Folks, this is leftism at its finest. The idea that every single little thing you do affects everybody around you. This groupism, oh, it's patriotic to wear a mask because the government says so. So it's patriotic, oh, it's patriotic. You know that argument's going to work in every single way. Uh, give us your weapons, confiscate. We're going to confiscate your weapons. Give us your guns. It's patriotic. It's your civil duty to help your fellow man, your fellow American. That, that type of... Uh, argument can be used really for anything that the government wants to compel you to do and in this case it's to wear masks and it's been found that a lot of these states that ended up opening up actually did much better economically as well as with their uh, case rate as well as with their mortality rate from COVID-19 uh, there's there's a lot of statistics that I have here today I have statistics from the foundation of economic freedom one of my Texas hits one of my sources Texas hits record low cases this is by john miltimore they do very good work they're they're the foundation for economic freedom i don't agree with them on everything but they seem to be like libertarians if i had to really take a uh, shot in the dark to guess what their affiliation is so nearly a month after uh, greg abbott's announcement the data is in coronavirus and this is from newsweek reporting Coronavirus cases have dropped to a record low in Texas roughly three weeks after the state lifted its mask mandate and reopened businesses, uh, Newsweek reports. The new magazine... <clears throat> The news magazine was referencing new data touted by Abbott showing that the Lone Star State saw its seven-day COVID positivity rate, the percent of tests coming in positive, hit a new low, 4.95%, while hospitalizations reached a six-month low. So it looks like their numbers, and, and this probably has to do with the warmer weather, I would guess, I would assume. This really doesn't have much to do with them opening up the economy. I, I don't think, and to begin with, I don't think Texas was that open, and I think that Texas still actually is not that open because individual towns, individual jurisdictions have their own power to still instill uh, mask policies, mask mandates. I'm pretty sure in Austin, Texas, they still have mask mandates. So to go on. According to the Texas Department of State Health Services, at least 1,900 new virus cases were reported on Sunday, which is the lowest daily number the state has seen since early June. Newsweek reports, data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that the seven-day moving average number of cases in Texas dropped to the lowest level since mid-June. So these numbers are all the best, the best numbers probably in the last more than six months at this point. They're doing very well. And this is, this is the reason for federalism, folks. This is uh, Florida, New York, New Jersey. You can draw different comparisons. That is the reason for federalism. 
you have different states doing their things differently depending on what the people themselves want in those specific states. That, that is the point. You get to see who runs the best, the best form of government, uh, the best state. So Florida's been doing a very good job. New York's been doing a terrible job. So everybody from New York, from what I understand, since I live in New Jersey, they've been moving to New Jersey, they've been moving to other states. I know New Jersey, a lot of them have been moving in because a lot of their jobs are still in New York. So they need to keep a close proximity to there and the price of the price of real estate around here has just skyrocketed. I mean, if you bought a house a year ago here, it's probably worth an extra hundred thousand at least, uh, because the people that are in mass moving from New York to come to New Jersey and other states, same thing with Florida that's going on. Apparently, Florida they're having some situations where people are buying their house and a year later it's doubling in value. That's what's going on currently. And this is the point. This is why you need federalism. You need to understand which government. If you run everything from the top down like the Democrats want to do, that's how you create the socialist dystopia. That's that's the reason for that because then there's no comparison to draw. You can just be like, well, you know, I'm happy I have like my free health care even though I have to wait 22 weeks to see a specialist. Like, it's okay, you know, because there's nothing to compare it to. You don't get to say, well, look, over in Florida, they did a really good job with this and that. Their, their policies with this. Well, you get to see in Florida, uh, you get to see people defending themselves with their firearm because they're able to carry their uh, concealed. And you can say, wow, look at that. They're able to conceal carry and they can stop people. And then you look at another state, another liberal state, where it's a gun-free zone and then there's a mass shooting like Boulder, Colorado. And you go, oh, well, no one there's armed. So no one could do anything when this guy pulled the gun and decided to just light everybody up. There's no, there's no answer in that case. So Fauci wants kids to uh, still wear masks. So I have a clip from him. Uh, play 10. Parents are vaccinated. They still do need to be concerned about their unvaccinated children playing together in groups. Is that right? Yeah, the children can clearly wind up getting infected. When we talk about what you can do when you're vaccinated, you can certainly have members of a family, if the adults are vaccinated, and you're in the home with your child, you don't need to wear a mask and you can have physical contact. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks when they're interacting with groups from multiple households. People are excited about the return of... So Dr. Fauci has continuously gone against the science and the mitigation measures that you need for your children to not uh, pass the COVID-19. So Dr. Fauci consistently has flip-flopped on many issues. He's consistently gone against what he calls the science and the studies. Uh, when you look at the rates of infection, you look at the the transmissibility rates of younger children, as well as the mortality rates of children as well from COVID-19. It is so minimal, it is so scarce, that it is a fraction, it is in the thousandths, thousandths, so it's like point zero zero zero. like that's that's the number. I don't even, I can't even tell you the number because there's so many zeros to it uh, after the decimal point. And Fauci still continues to propagate it, though. He, he continues to exalt the mask usage. And it's because it gives him more clout. He, he gets to get on TV more, gives him more attention, more eyes on him. He's just a petty bureaucrat like many of, of these uh, officials in the government. And they like the attention. They're kind of narcissistic. That's, that's what I think. I think that's the reason that they go forward with this. I think this him this entire time 
he's so wishy-washy, there's no point even listening to anything that he says. I just like to point it out and show, well, this is what the left listens to. They listen to this guy. And I remember when I came out and I said something, I put up, when I first created my account, I put something up and I got a lot of backlash about Dr. Fauci when they decided to make December 24th, instead of uh, having a Christmas parade, they had a Fauci parade and they were all, you know, celebrating Dr. I think the state or the, uh, was it New York? The mayor? No. Maybe it was the mayor in D.C. that made it officially Dr. Fauci Day because that was his birthday. So now we're looking up to, you know, Dr. Fauci instead of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ instead. We're going to look up to Dr. Fauci because he is our new God. Politics is our new religion. It is, it is they are our new gods and goddesses, uh, the politicians, especially for the left. Now, free states faring far better in lock than lockdown states economically. This is a Brad Palumbo piece from once again the uh, I keep forget it's hard to say the name. The Foundation of Economic Freedom. I keep forgetting their name. So it starts off the national unemployment rate was a poor, if not disastrous, six point two percent in February. Yet the just released state level and unemployment rates for last month show that the devastation hasn't been equal across the board. New Labor Department data reveals that many free states have returned to nearly their pre-pandemic unemployment rates, while lockdown states dominate the wrong end of the list. So, <laughs> who would have known? All of the lockdown states are doing terribly in terms of their unemployment rate. A lot of people are out of work, and it seems like all of the states that decide to stay open are doing very well, and they're back to their low unemployment rates that they had pre-pandemic. So hands-off states such as South Dakota, Utah, Nebraska, New Hampshire top the list with unemployment rates hovering around a stellar 3%. States that received enormous flack for eschewing uh, drastic lockdowns like Georgia and Florida both both rank in the top 20. Perhaps only obvious outlier is Texas which ranks poorly with an unemployment rate of 6.9%. But then again, Governor Greg Abbott only rolled back the remaining restrictions in the Lone Star State earlier this month. So yeah, so Texas this Texas is supposed to be this beacon of hope, this beacon of, of uh, freedom. Meanwhile, Texas was shut down almost this entire time as well, which that's why I was saying, I was, I was mentioning this recently, I don't think Texas is, is as red as it used to be. I think certain sections are. But if you go to any of the big cities, you're looking at a very blue, and, and, and it may be a blue state in the next election. It's purple, they're calling it right now. So meanwhile, the worst 10 states, with unemployment rates from 7 to 9%, include lockdown-happy lo localities like New York, New Jersey, California, Hawaii, Massachusetts, D.C., and Rhode Island. So this actually does somewhat have to do, it has a correlation with red and blue states. Red states in general, a lot of them stayed open. Whereas a lot of blue states shut down, but New Hampshire is not really a, a red state. New Hampshire is pretty blue. New Hampshire, I know has, I'm pretty sure they have no state tax income. They also have no sales tax. It is property tax, I think, strictly over there. And then other weird taxes, I'm pretty sure. But from what I understand, New Hampshire is a pretty blue state. More moderately blue, if I had to guess. And then the other states are pretty much red. Nebraska can kind of be in certain areas, I guess, blue as well. So this doesn't really have to do with, with party lines. This all just has to do with the operation. Uh, also, South Dakota, Utah, um, well, South Dakota and Nebraska, at least, and New, even New Hampshire. These are all colder states, too, to be doing better with unemployment rates. 
Um, and, and I don't know how their, how their rate of infection is. I think their rate of infection is pretty low as well. It's also because there's not as many people closely packed together. But it's, it's more difficult for a state that's going to be colder to do better with these COVID numbers. Because once it's colder, your immune system is much more compromised. So even that, they're still doing better. So the lowest unemployment rates. You got South Dakota at 2.9%, Utah at 3%, Nebraska at 3.1%. Then the highest unemployment, Hawaii 9.2%, New York 8.9%, and Connecticut 8.5%. So we've seen, and this is all going to come to the very last conclusion now that they're, they're going for a COVID passport to be able to commute from one place to another, to be able to get on a plane, and, and, and they're going to try to require this. Um, th- this is all just a... This is all for people. They want more and more people to get vaccinated. That's the reason for them trying to instill a COVID passport policy. And the more troubling part about it is that, and I'll show you the clip at the very end, they talk about making it, implementing it through private business because they've been doing that this entire time. The Democrat Party has been instilling policy through private business and getting away with it, things that violate the Constitution but they just go through private industry, so it's okay, so it's allowed for them. Even though it's really not through case law, but there hasn't been a big case, I guess, because I think the Supreme Court denies anything. They don't want to see any cases. So one of the biggest COVID-19 factors, which really hasn't been mentioned and covered, uh, Washington Examiner piece, once again, written by Brad Palumbo. He talks about the obesity rates in the United States and the U.S. ranking uh, number 12 in the world in obesity. One of the highest rates among developed countries. One study found that 90% of nation or of worldwide COVID-19 deaths occurred in countries with high obesity rates. So obesity really was a predetermining factor of uh, high mortality rates from COVID-19, which is a known thing if you look at statistics. COVID-19 is much more deadly for the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions that weaken the immune system. One of those conditions is obesity. According to the CDC... Adults with excess weight are at greater risk during the COVID-19 pandemic. The CDC said that of the roughly 900,000 adult COVID-19 hospitalizations from the start of the outbreak to November 18th, 30% were attributed directly to obesity. So so you have 300,000 out of 900,000 hospitalizations. The reason that they were in the hospital to begin with is strictly because of their obesity. If they weren't as obese, they'd end up being okay and they would fight the virus off pretty quickly. Meanwhile, a new study examining over 150,000 adults across 20 hospitals uh, confirmed that obese people are much more likely to be hospitalized or to die from the virus. Severely obese COVID-19 patients were 61% more likely to die and 33% more likely to face hospitalization than their peers of healthier at healthier weights. So it's quite apparent at this point that, uh, and, and by shutting everything down and telling people to stay inside and not leave their houses and only allowing really the fast food places, the drive-thrus to, to stay open, because a lot of these small industries which in which they make fresher, better for you food than a lot of these uh, these chains and these franchises. Nothing against McDonald's. I like McDonald's, you know. But uh, by allowing them to stay open, people are at greater risk because then they're eating that food. They're getting heavier. There's an average. Oh, and I have it here. This is this is great. This stat is tremendous, and this is so true. 
Uh, as COVID-19 lockdowns and restrictions have trapped people in their homes over the last year, many have gained weight. A new American Psychological Association survey showed that 42% gained weight over the last year, an average of 29 pounds. So we are making the problem worse by shutting people in their houses. <laughs> people have gained 29 pounds on average. And me personally, I've, I've gained weight. I don't know if it's 29 pounds, but I've gained weight over the last year. And part of the reason is because of the gym, they tell me you have to wear a mask. I'm not wearing a mask at the gym. I'm just not doing it. It's, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. And until that ends, I'm not going back to the gym. Uh, 42% of them, of Americans, gained weight, though, on average, which is a problem because that is one of the contributing factors, one of the, the main contributing factor to death or hospitalization from COVID-19. And now this is where I get to the case of the vaccine passports. Uh, Jen Psaki gets asked the question, and she continues to talk about how they are going to concert with private industry to try to implement some sort of a plan towards this. Play two. Position on whether once the vaccine is more readily available, businesses should be able to tell employees who don't want to get the vaccine for whatever reason that they can't come back into the workplace or that airlines could reject people from getting on the plane if they have decided not to get a vaccine? Well, we're going to provide guidance just as we have through the CDC. Uh, there's currently um, an interagency process that is looking at many of the questions around vaccine verification. And that issue will touch many agencies as ver verification is an issue that will potentially touch many sectors of society, as you have certainly alluded to. Um, that's guidance we'll provide. We expect, as, as Andy Slavitt, I think, alluded to, that uh, a determination or development of a vaccine passport or whatever you want to call it uh, will be driven by the private sector. Ours will more be focused on guidelines that can be used as a basis. And uh, there are a couple key principles that we are working from. One is that there will be no centralized universal federal vaccinations database and no federal mandate requiring everyone to obtain a single vaccination credential. Second, we want to encourage an open marketplace with a variety of private sector companies and nonprofit coalitions developing solutions. And third, we want to drive the market toward meeting public interest goals. So we'll leverage our resources uh, to ensure that all vaccination credential systems meet key standards, whether that's universal accessibility, affordability, availability, both digitally and on paper. Uh, but those are our standards. It's currently going through an interagency process. We'll make some recommendations, and then uh, we believe it will be driven by the private sector. So vaccine passports, the most important part, if you notice from the question from the media, the media is calling for this. The media is calling for, oh, uh, if you're a, a private business owner, you can tell employees that they have to get shots or else they can't come into work ever again. So so how are we going to do this? People that stand up to the government, people that stand up to the private industry, stand up to this this vaccination crowd where there is absolutely no liability on these on these industries or these companies that made the vaccines there's no liability on them if you die if there's any any end result that is adverse if you have any seriously adverse effects you cannot sue this industry any of these industries at all you can't sue any of the corporations that made these vaccines okay so now they want to implement and they've done this already they have implemented policy through the private industry they've done this with twitter they've done this with facebook youtube they've done it the uh, Democrat Party has done it. I, this, the tweets of them calling for shutdowns on Twitter of Donald Trump themselves as lawmakers. They are telling and they are working in concert with private industry. The private industry is working as an enforcement arm for political policies of the Democrat Party. That is currently what is going on. 
And in this case, she said it. I don't even really know if it was subliminal. She just said it outright. She said, well, we're going to work our level leverage to work with some of these private industries to you know, help the public interest. The public interest is whatever the administration wants it to be. The public interest in this case is people have to get, get shots. People have to get COVID vaccinations because we said so, because we made so many of them. We don't want to look stupid. And we want to push our power. And and specifically, she said, oh, well, there's not going to be any federal registry. There's not going to be any federal. Co- yeah, because, you know why she says that, folks? She says that to cover herself. They know they can't do that. Federally, that can't, they can't be done. What they're doing currently, working in concert with private industry the way that they are, that also cannot be done. That is also illegal through case law. But specifically, holding some sort of registration, some sort of federal registry of people that have been COVID vaccinated is strictly illegal under the Constitution. So they know they can't do it. It's just an illegal of, of, of personal uh, rights, the Fourth Amendment in particular, probably the most of any. Uh, the idea of being secure in your persons, being able to be private, making you, making you somehow register with the federal government of whatever you have, whatever you've been vaccinated for. And this is scary for sure. This is authoritarianism on its face. It's it's outright. It's blatant. It's obvious. It's right in front of you. And uh, the people on the left, they're, they're nowhere to be found in this case. They're nowhere to be found pretty much on everything. I've seen complete silence from the left wing in terms of the administration thus far and a lot of the screw-ups therein. It's only been two months, and the new administration is a complete disaster and a lot more authoritarian uh, and t- totalitarian than I thought it would be. And the things that they're attempting to push are extreme, extremist. And there, there's going to be backlash for sure, folks. If you attempt to, and I saw Delta, the Delta CEO came out talking about COVID. And he, he was saying this months ago, that it's going to be a problem. They're already struggling as an industry. And uh, they're not going to be able to survive with a COVID passport, making everybody you know, show their COVID passport or their COVID ID card. They're not, they're going to struggle. Like me personally, I wouldn't fly. I tell them to go screw. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, folks. You can fire me for my job. It is what, like, I'm just not doing it. You guys, same thing with guns. You guys can take me out of my house and you can arrest me. I mean, it is, it is what it is at this point. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not living in a country where I'm not going to be free. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of you listeners feel the same way. If, if you're not free, there's no point in living here. There's no point in being here. You might as well just go be thrown in the gulag, throw me in prison, and I'll just I'll just lay there and I'll hang out there because it's no better. At least in that case, I'm not really working for the government. Now I'm currently just working for the government. That's the way I feel with my taxation rates. My tax rates, I have to pay. Today I'm going to handle my taxes, my finances. I'm going to have to pay the government about $3,000. So that's fantastic. I love that. I'm sure many of you pay way more than that too. <sighs> So to go on here, and I have, trying to find my next clip. Okay, so the next segment, this is a story of Muhammad Anwar, which has not really been covered much, uh, by the, especially by the legacy media, the drive-bys. Washington Examiner piece written by Emma Colton, and this is the way in which CNN spun the story, and I have it up on the... Uh, on the Rumble, I have this is a screenshot from their Twitter, and this is the way that they reported it. Teen girls charged with uh, two teen girls have been charged in the carjacking death of a man this week in Washington D.C. Police say that's not the problem. The problem was the tweet. So the tweet says police said the girls, 13 and 15, assaulted an Uber each driver with a taser while carjacking him, which led to an accident in which he was fatally injured. 
So they, they make it very soft, and, and I think uh, the media at this point is really just in the uh, in the race politics game. They're in the narrative game as well. So these two teens, they were, they were black. This man, he was a, uh, a Pakistani immigrant. He was, I think, like 66 years old. So if you want to watch the video, it is on the site. I believe it's on the site that I have here, the Washington Examiner. Uh, if not, you can look it up. I mean, it's just terrible, really. It's not extremely graphic, but it's pretty graphic. Uh, this man gets tased because these two girls are attempting to jack his car. And he decides to hold on in the driver's seat while they drive. I think the driver's, yes, the driver's seat as they're driving away. So he's holding on to the car while they're driving. So he's outside of the car uh, with the door open. And they hit a pole and they flip the car. He's tossed from the car. They get out of the car. It is, it is sideways up. Um, and they're looking for their phones the entire time. That's the only thing they care. They don't care. They just killed a man. They do not care. They, they, this is our society that we've created. We're so inhumane. We're so far away from traditional values, family values, the, uh, nuclear family that life to us is meaningless. Uh, unless if we're famous, uh, life to us is meaningless. So this man is on the ground. He's he's pre whether he's dying or he's already at that point, he, he is, uh, passed away. And these girls are outside the car. They just murdered somebody, folks. They just committed a murder. On top of carjacking him and uh, tasing him. They just killed him. They killed a man, whether you want to call it a manslaughter or a murder or whatever it is. Uh, he's on the ground. And they're looking for their phone. Well, he's, he's right next to them. They're running around. Where's my phone at? There's just trashy-ass women. Uh, just two trashy girls, really. Not even women. It's just pathetic. Because this, this is what our... This is what our world is now becoming. Uh, this is what our country... There, there's been all these mass shootings. There's been all this gang violence. I've been watching all these 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 crimes. Black on Asian crime all over the place. It's everywhere. It's perpetuating our society. And um, the media is really... just They don't report it. They don't report it. If it doesn't fit the narrative, they're not going to report it. So Mohammed Anwar, who was originally from Pakistan, died Tuesday... After a rollover crash, the 13 and 16-year-old girls are accused of attempting to steal Anwar's car and tasering him. It's, by the way, folks, that's what they did. It's it's on video. Um, so this is what his family had to say, and it's, it's sad. He was a hardworking immigrant who came to the U.S. in 2014 to build a better life for himself and his family. Uh, he was an Uber Eats driver. I guess he did that on the side maybe to make some extra money. The loss for... For his family is immeasurable, uh, they said in, in a statement. His family. So this whole, I mean, the whole story is just sad, and the the media is just silent on it because it doesn't fit the narrative. If this was a white dude that did this, they would they would throw him down. This this would be all over the news, and then we'd talk about white supremacy for you know a couple weeks, and how the the FBI has to get more and more power to spy on Americans for that reason. It's just sad. It's it's just a breakdown of our society. When we have children doing things like this to people, and then and then they're inhumane enough when he he's dead on the on the pavement over there, they're just looking for their they're looking for their phone. That's all they care about. And this is uh, the next segment I have. It's an Axios piece, and this is how the bootlicking liberal activist journalists report Joe Biden. And this is this is tremendous. I want to throw this one in here. I highly advise you check it out. Just the bootlicking. Coming from the media, coming from these journalists, uh, presidential historian Michael 
Beschloss told Axios, FDR and LBJ may turn out to be the past century's closest analogs for the Biden era in terms of transforming the country in important ways in a short time. So they're comparing, by the way, LBJ was like a vehement racist. The only reason he passed the Civil Rights Act is because he had to. Um, and FDR also was the dude. Didn't he lock up a bunch of Japanese Americans in internment camps during World War II? Oh, okay. And then he implemented some of the biggest social welfare systems that we have in this country. And, and he, back in 19, the 1940s, he's the reason now currently that we have a lot of the issues that we have in terms of our budget. So Beschloss, just to begin with, but the, these are the, these are the big, these are the big Democrat. If you actually look around and you, and you look down the list of Democrat presidents, you really can't find a good one other than maybe if I had to guess JFK in terms of the way in which he ran it, low taxes. He was very conservative as a Democrat president, but you really can't sit there and point to one uh, Democrat president that was like really solid. If you look at FDR, many times it's been reported by a lot of uh, economists that he actually slowed the return of the U.S. into a economic powerhouse because of a lot of his policies that he implemented saying that they really slowed the economy and actually made the recovery a lot longer than it needed to be he pretty much doubled the time of the recovery by all of his social welfare programs so Beschloss said that parallels include the new deal economic relief that franklin roosevelt brought in 1933 which saved the country from the depression and chaos which just isn't true and biden is on track to leave the country in a different place as lyndon johnson did with the, his great society programs uh, people close to biden tell us he's feeling bullish on what he can accomplish and is fully prepared to support the dashing of the Senate's filibuster rule to allow Democrats to pass voting rights and other trophy legislation for his party. So this is just such hack jobbery. Because <laughs> Biden's not feeling anything, folks. Biden has no, no idea where he is. He's not feeling bullish on things. People close to Biden say he's bullish. And then this goes on. They're actually comparing him saying he's better than Obama. Which is even better because Obama is like, he's like the golden calf of the Democrat Party. So it says he loves the growing narrative that he's bolder and bigger thinking than President Obama. He's not thinking at all. <laughs> he's not bigger or bolder thinking. Uh, this temptation to go even bigger, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell insists, will create a, such a fissure between the parties that he compared it this week to nuclear winter. So, so they're making it like they're comparing. They're, they're saying, "Oh, Biden's so badass that you know he's going after and Senate Senate leader Mitch McConnell is so scared of him and all this other stuff because he's he's just doing such good work out there." Uh, but we're told Biden won't hesitate just as he passed the not 1.9 trillion uh, COVID rescue package with zero Republican votes and zero regrets. His team sees little chance he's going to be able to rewire the government in his image if he plays by the rules of bringing in at least 10 Republicans. So they're saying, he's so badass, he needs to rewire the country, he needs to get rid of the entire system, and he's not going to bring in 10 Republicans to do it. He's just going to destroy and nuke the filibuster. He won't rub their noses in it, we're told. That'll be the Biden touch to rolling the opposition. I can't even, it's so funny. And getting that much closer to the status of latter-day FDR. So yeah, he, he's he's going to do it, and he's going to be very humble in his, uh, in his bragging of how well and how good of a job he's doing, because that just makes him that much closer to a FDR. 
Uh, Biden's list includes, and these are all the things, rural broadband expansion. So they're looking to make internet, like, I guess in a lot of these rural areas, make it free for everybody, which would be transformative for those communities. Uh, child tax credit permanent. Landmark legislation on climate, guns, and voting. Which is, it's all in the Democrat playbook. It's all in the uh, Communist Manifesto playbook. So that's that's really it. I mean... I just it's just such a joke the way that the media fawns over democrat politicians it's like pathetic that I had I had to put this in here when I read it I was just, I was I was laughing out loud uh so so next segment covid spend and this is going to be the economic part the economics and then I'll have a couple quick headlines at the very end here so once again I have Brad Palumbo so this is his third third piece that he's shown in the show he does very good work uh this is once again the freedom uh, for economic, I can't even remember the name, FEE, the Freedom Economic Foundation or something like that. I don't know why I have such a hard time. Uh, the Foundation of Economic Freedom. Because the FEE doesn't stand for that, that's why I have a hard time remembering it. So, the COVID spending could cost Americans double of what was expected. I actually held this one from last week. So, the 1.9 estimate assumes that various tax credit programs will be allowed to expire. However, a report by American Enterprise Institute economist Alex Brill concludes that this is highly unlikely and that if they're eventually renewed, the bills cost could nearly double. So this, child, this expansion of the uh, child tax credit, earned income tax credit, and the child and dependent care credit could be enacted for just a single year under the guise of promoting economic security during the pandemic. Uh, Alex Brill explains. However, the Wall Street Journal recently reported on Democrats' desire to make permanent the child tax credit expansion. In addition, the House passed a permanent version of their expansion of the child and dependent care credit last year, and it is unfathomable unfathom- to imagine Congress letting the one-year uh, earned income tax credit expansion last lapse post 2021 so they're going to look to extend all of these credits and, and really at the end of the day with a credit it sounds good to you really what it is is everyone has to pay for your kid for you having kids everyone else has to pay for it this is this is what groupism is this is what collectivism is so if you, you decided this was your choice to have the kids and you now have to you make it everyone else's obligation to pay for your kids so that's the case um, I'm always a fan of tax credits. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of low taxes. But this is all, they're going to have these tax credits implemented. And then they're going to raise the taxes on everybody. So it's not really a tax credit, it's just a loss. It's just more money you're throwing into the government for them to hand it back to you. And we've seen how this has gone over the last year with any type of COVID spending for the $6 trillion. Uh, we could have given every single person in this country $41,000. Every single federal taxpayer could have gotten $41,000 from all the spending that we had from COVID. But everyone's seen like three stimulus checks, which amount to now maybe $3,000, $3,500. So Brill estimates that expanding these portions of the bill would increase its total cost by 75% for an ultimate price tag of $3.3 trillion. That astounding figure comes out to roughly $23,000 per tax for a federal taxpayer. So this original $1.9 trillion bill, if they continue to spend the way that they're spending and they continue expanding, which which I could see the Democrat Party doing, just expanding and expanding more of these credits, it'll come out to $3.3 trillion at the end of the day, and everyone's going to have to pay that in the future. Next, 
and this is this is something that we could see in the near future. Uh, banks warn of significant losses as they exit positions with large U.S. hedge funds. This is a CNBC piece, Elliott Smith. So this is a uh, this is a isolated scenario where you see Credit Suisse and Nomura. So Nomura, I believe, is a Japanese company. Credit Suisse, I think, might be somewhere in Europe. But they're banks, they're financial institutions. They're warning of significant hits to first quarter results after they began exiting positions with a large U.S. hedge fund that defaulted on margin calls last week. While neither Credit Suisse nor Nomura named the fund, it's been widely reported that Archigos Capital Management is the firm connected to the fire sale. In a trading update before the market opened, Credit Suisse said a number of other banks were also affected and had begun exiting their positions with the unnamed firm. The Zurich-based lenders shares closed down uh, nearly four. So Zurich, I guess, is Credit Suisse. I don't know where the heck Zurich is. Somewhere in Europe, I'd assume. They closed down nearly 14% down on Monday uh, from their announcement. So if we're seeing some of these financial institutions start to fail, we're seeing U.S. hedge funds not do well, uh, if, if the banks end up defaulting, we're going to have a serious problem in a couple different ways, folks. So at the end of the day, actually, the, the banks defaulting might not be that bad of a deal because people might pull their money out and start actually uh, taking accountability for their own money and buying safes and locking it up that way or investing it their own way that they, that they see fit. It actually might not be that bad of a case. What I'm more worried about is the defaulting from these institutions and the government coming in with a big bailout and just spending more money. And when the government bails them out, then it inflates your money. So they're really just taking your money to bail them out to begin with. And then it's exacerbated by the, uh, by the inflation as well. So that's something to worry about a little bit. Some of these institutions, if you have money in the banks and the banks start telling you, hey, hey listen, we're going to have negative interest rates soon. That's something to worry about. That means that the rate of inflation is actually beating the rate of return on investments. So that's why they're giving you the negative interest rates. The point of you giving money to the bank is you pretty much loan them your money. They take the money. They invest it. They make money in return off of it. And if you have a savings account, then they give you a very small percentage. Uh, in this case, if the inflation is so high that they take your money that you lent them and they go to invest it and their return is so low that now they have to actually charge you. Because they're, they're almost getting negative returns. Now they're charging you just to hold your money, which is a problem. Uh, I highly advise anybody if that starts to happen. And once again, this isn't advice. I'm not telling people what to do. But I, I would suggest, I'm not telling anyone what to do, but I would suggest pulling your money out. <laughs> so, and to go off, now I have a bunch of small stories. This next story is actually related a little bit. A visa to use USDC stablecoin on Ethereum blockchain. So to try to simplify all of that, uh, Visa is going to start using cryptocurrency to make payments. They're going to use this thing called USDC. It's a stablecoin. Stablecoin meaning it's it's worth a dollar. It stays on the value of a dollar, and it's built on Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum is a is a type of crypto that's that's much more technical. But the key to this story is you see Visa now. Visa, which is a huge financial institution, credit company, they are now going to start holding uh, cryptocurrency. And they're going to be paying and they're going to be doing transactions with cryptocurrency, which is now we're moving more into a cryptocurrency-like universe. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of financial institutions putting a lot of money in Bitcoin, but we really haven't seen much of a uh, investment in Ethereum itself. So I think this is actually a pretty big story. 
I think it's important because it's it shows that our financially we're starting to move to these these I guess you would call them virtual currencies. I don't really like to call them that. As long as the government doesn't control them, I don't think they're a problem. Uh, I always I always advise people to look into it and maybe invest like a very small percent of your portfolio in there just to hedge, just to hedge against uh, inflation. Just just hedge. I mean, I mean to diversify. It's a good idea if you're gonna put. You know, let's say 10% of whatever you're invested in is in gold. Maybe cut it in half. That's what the big guys are saying right now. Cut it in half, 5%. Put 5% into some sort of cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, something like that. And once again, this is not financial advice. I am not a financial institution. I'm not a financial advisor. I just want to make that clear. So next one, Al Sharpton accuses Manchin and Cinema of supporting racism if they don't help kill the filibuster. This is a media research center uh, clip. I'm not going to play it, but Al Sharpton is just pretty much saying, and, and this is this is what the Democrats do. This is the first thing they do is if you don't if you don't support this, if you don't agree with us, you're a racist. So Joe Manchin is a Democrat senator as well as Kristen Cinema. She's a Democrat senator over in Arizona. Manchin is from West Virginia. Uh, next, American church membership hits record lows. Daily Caller piece. And it reads, only 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship, according to a Gallup poll released Monday. The poll had a margin of error of 2% and surveyed 6,117 Americans between 2018 and 2020 about their religious attendance. So apparently this number is at all-time lows since the 1920s. And I think this, this, this partially plays towards a breakdown of our society. We're founded on Judeo-Christian values. Myself, I am not a deeply religious person, but I do understand our affiliation and our derivatives. Our We are derived from uh, Christian Jude and Judaism. And thus, hence the reason I say Christian Judeo-Christian Judeo values. A lot of our standards, a lot of our morality, a lot of our rules, they're based off of the Ten Commandments themselves. Um, and further and further people get away from this, and they deviate from it. You see what's going on with little Nas with his uh, exaltation of, of Satan, his a satanic rituals, his weird stuff that he's got going on. Uh, Nike's actually coming out suing him for it. Because Nike doesn't like to be associated and affiliated with that. Which really, they probably don't care. They're just worried about their money. But considering all the things that they support over in China. The Uyghur Muslims doing slave work to make their shoes. They really don't actually care about Satan. They're not worried about that affiliation. Because they're pretty affiliated with Satan to begin with. Uh, yeah, but this is a breakdown, I think, of our society. And I think that the further and further we get away from religion and some sort of not even the idea of religion necessarily but much more value based which which once again is derived from religion so i am not deeply religious myself but i will concede that a lot of my values are based off of and they're derived from religion and and most most decent especially in america most decent moral people uh their original their original value system is derived from Judeo-Christian values. I mean, you can question as much as you want all those agnostics and those atheists out there that get all angry. And then I don't understand really the, uh, the, the almost militant anger that they have for people that are religious. It's very odd to me. That's why for me, from my perspective, the guy that's like not religious, I, I was an atheist for a very long time. Now I'm kind of just like, I'm out there. I don't really know. But even when I was, I wasn't extremely militant towards religion the way that some of these people are. 
maybe in my younger days I was. I don't really understand the point for it. I don't understand why they are so militant, but it's just the way it is, I guess. But I think that's further and further. The further away we get and deviate from that, I think we have more and more issues as a uh, society. So, lastly... Well, I got two more. Capital rioters pay for legal fees from supportive funding online, USA Today. This is a USA Today article. I just thought it was funny the way the left framed it, where they got all annoyed that people were going online and looking for funding. Meanwhile, they were funding. Uh, Kamala Harris was asking people to get bailed out of jail. And, and this is actually unconstitutional, especially if you, were a, uh, if you were a politician coming out and getting angry over this. Pretty much what was happening was these sites were getting doxxed. And they were taking these people off of their sites. And there is constitutional ramifications for that if you were a politician saying so. Because there's supposed to be some sort of a right to a trial, right to a lawyer, right to right to all of those things. Ability to be able to, um, to fund your legal defense. So there are some actual ramifications for that. I just thought that was interesting that the media gets all angry that people are actually trying to defend themselves in the court of law. Because they're pathetic authoritarians essentially. So Alaska's Senator Lisa Murkowski to be primaried by Kelly Toshibaka. This is a Fox News piece. She's going to get primaried because she is a rhino Republican. Hopefully she gets beat. So that'll conclude this one. Please like, share, subscribe. I greatly appreciate you all tuning in. Uh, Please make sure you check out the weekend special and I will see you all next time. Thank you.